I encourage you to go ahead and get your uh, Bibles out and open up to the book of 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6. You know, in preparing for this lesson and, and thinking about the, the topic at a hand, uh, it's one of those that as you, uh, as you look into the, the Word of God, as you think about the, the topic and contemplate it, uh, you begin to realize that there is much more depth than when you uh, originally began to write your notes or to generate your outline. And you find that uh, certain topics in Scripture just keep going. So my challenge uh, is to at least open the door tonight uh, and hopefully leave you with something that, that will encourage your and motivate your, your study and contemplating how to put it into practice into your own life. Great gain with contentment. Tonight I want to think about the topic of being content. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul writes to, to Timothy in verse 6 and tells him just this simple statement, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. You know, there's a couple of cliches in our world, and uh, one of them is the grass is always greener, on the other side. In doing a little bit of, of searching of maybe where that phrase came from, it's one that I've always uh, heard. I grew up out in the country. I've been around farmers. I've been around ranchers. And, and it seems natural. It potentially even has a, a reference or an illusion going all the way back to Abraham and Lot when they stood and they looked up across the plains and Lot was given the choice of, of where to go. He could choose first and go one way. Abraham would then take the different way, and, and Lot looked, and there were plains that were fairer and greener, and that was that was the better land for his for his sheep, for his uh, shepherds to go. But even uh, through uh, ancient Greek times, they talked about this, and of course, as I mentioned, just pretty much common sense. Uh, when you drive by, if you've ever seen a goat or a cow, where are they eating? Right, they're eating through the fence on the other side. It's it's almost as if. What they have inside their pasture is not quite as good. Well, well humanity has that same, uh, that same conflict. That when we look out and we see other things, that our contentment with what we have, our state, where we're sitting, it doesn't look quite as good as what's over on the other side. Maybe an analogous cliche is keeping up with the Joneses. Sort of the idea that we look out and we see what others have and we see what we have and we think, well, we need to have what they have or we need to obtain what they have. So tonight I want to talk about contentment and it's, it's maybe some ways of finding contentment, maybe some, some verses that talk about contentment, maybe thinking about contentment in some areas that uh, aren't quite as obvious, but hopefully we can draw the connection uh, and then leave with you the application of how do you have your life where you have the great gain that contentment and godliness give to you, as Paul talked about. We're going to talk about first uh, physical contentment, emotional contentment, and then spiritual contentment. Physical contentment. As we think about uh, this word and, and this concept Physical contentment is probably where we, we most often think. It's the area that we most often talk about. The, the physical possessions that we see, we touch, we taste, we have around us, what others have, what we could have, what we don't have, those kind of things. When we think about the word contentment uh, and think about what it is and what it is not, 
I want to first uh, maybe lay a, a little bit of groundwork and say that contentment is not uh, being stagnant or lazy. Uh, you know, sometimes it might be worded or phrased of, well, you just need to be content. Well, that doesn't imply that we are lazy, that, well, what we have is what we have. We don't need to do anything or, or grow in any way or seek something that is better. We just, we just need to sit back and, and kick our feet up and, and just be content. That's not the root of this word. That's not what it means, especially biblically. When we look at Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18, Peter simply writes, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. All right, he gives a, an, an imperative that you are to grow. You are not to be in the same place, in the same condition. You're not to be stagnant uh, in your faith. Paul would write to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15 to be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. All right? So to be diligent, to, to grow, to be busy. That, that, that's something that we see in the Bible, right? We think about laziness and nowhere. Nowhere in Scripture is laziness something that has a positive, right? The Proverbs writer would, would say, you know, look unto the ant, thou sluggard. Why look at the ant? Because the ant is always busy. When we look at uh, the New Testament, we find a parable in Matthew chapter 25, uh, the parable of the talents, where ten talents were given to one man, five talents to another, and one talent to the third. And and what we find is, is that the one-talent man, he was chastised because when the master returned, he returned the one talent, and that was it. It was buried in the ground, and he did nothing with it. He, he sat on it, not growing, not seeking something that was good or beneficial for him or his master. And it tells us in verse 26 that he was chastised for his slothfulness, for his laziness, Well, if laziness is something that is negative, but yet the Bible talks about contentment in positive terms, something to strive after, to look to, to bring into your life, and that it has great gain, well, then obviously contentment and laziness or stagnant living is not what is meant. The other thing to think about is that uh, contentment is not settling for the insufficient, Settling for the insufficient. In a context in 1 Timothy chapter 5, in a context speaking about uh, widows, the church's responsibility for them and to look after them and to care for them, in, in that context, 1 Timothy 5 verse 8, Paul writes and he says, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. All right, if you do not provide for your own, if you do not seek what is sufficient, what is needed for them, then it says that you have, you have denied the faith. Well, is settling for where we are, is settling for something that is insufficient to provide for our own household, is that, is that being content? Well, I would put before you, and hopefully as we discuss other things, that it's not That is not a biblical contentment in your life to settle for something that is insufficient. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11, we have the section that talks about asking, seeking, and knocking. 
Ask, it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Now, first off, this has absolutely spiritual implications of following after God, of seeking his will. But notice the examples that follow in verse 9 and following. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Now, it's interesting, spiritual application, absolutely, but the, the examples that are given have a, have a physical means, a physical connection that says if there is a need, a son who is insufficient in what he has, bread, meat, meal, and he asks of his father, will the father not give him what is needed? We think about whatever situation you are in, whether you are a grandparent, a parent, whether you are a son or a daughter, whether you uh, are providing for someone else, providing for yourself, those around you. There's a responsibility to take care of, take care of needs. And so contentment doesn't say to sit back when you have a responsibility to provide something that is sufficient. Now remember that word sufficient. And finally, one thing that that contentment is not, it is not having all the answers. Being content in your life, it doesn't come when you have all the answers, and it doesn't mean that you have all the answers moving forward. But just as that verse in Matthew chapter 7 talked about, you can be content and continue in your seeking, your knocking, your searching for answers. So what then is contentment as we think about uh, bringing this into our life? Uh, Just an English dictionary definition says contentment is feeling or showing satisfaction with one's possessions, one's status, or one's situation. All right? Feeling or showing satisfaction, all right, with the physical, with the the emotional, the status, uh, the situation, the context of your life. The passages we're going to talk about tonight, uh, one starting in in Timothy, but also others, when the word contentment is used in the Greek, uh, it has a reference to sufficient for one's self. Or it also means to be strong, to be enough, to be satisfied. All right? So that idea of sufficiency, being content, seeing sufficiency in your life. Physical contentment, all right? Physical contentment can, uh, can rear its ugly head, being ill-content, discontent with what we have, when we have little, all right? Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Whatever the state is, Paul writes to the Philippians, that he has learned to be content. I might have missed saying it, but 1 Timothy chapter 6, if, if you'll flip back over there, place a little marker there, we're going to come back to this, this passage several times. 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul says, Godliness with contentment is great gain, but then he goes on and he says, We were brought, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. All right? Contentment... Uh, with little, or being content with little, uh, avoiding greed in covetousness. Matthew chapter six nineteen through twenty one talks about laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven. 
Where your heart is there, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. But it, it talks about laying those treasures up. Why? Because physical things uh, decay, rust, the moth. It talks about that these things that uh, are, are temporary, uh, these things, even though that you may have little, these things will also fade away. But it goes on in the next few passages about verse 25 and following. And it focuses on the idea of having little. And it says not to be worried about what you have, what you will eat, what you will wear. And it gives the examples of, of the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. And says that God takes care of these. And so the worry, the discontent that you may have, the covetousness for what others have, not to, not to let that sit inside of you. Because God takes care of his people. If you look at verse 33 of Matthew chapter 6, or think about it, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. All right? Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. That word sufficient is the same word, the same Greek word that Paul would use when he talks about that godliness with contentment is great gain. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble, all right? We have troubles every day. We have things that come up. Being content doesn't mean that you're not going to have issues, not going to have battles or challenges. But in this verse, it's talking about not to worry about the the things that are out of your control, the things that are far into the future, because it says contented or sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The things that we, can, that we can handle are right now and today. And even though we may be going through troubles, we can still have, according to the scripture, we can still have a contented attitude. That we can face those troubles and we can, we can uh, conquer them and we can overcome them. And we don't need to start stacking up next week's troubles, next month's troubles, next year's troubles. Because sufficient, all right? contented today are the things that we need to overcome and accomplish. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 is another passage. Be anxious for nothing. All right? And then it goes on to, to show us some of the gain we can get by being content. In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. If you take on a physical contentment in your life, then this passage is saying that uh, peace, you can have peace in your life. The troubles and the issues that you're facing, yes, they are here and they are today, but, but you can be content that you will overcome them. That God has given to you what you need, the food, the raiment. He has given to you the talents and the abilities to overcome what is ahead of you. And then he goes on to say in that passage in Philippians that uh, prayer, supplication, thanksgivings, requests to God is how you begin to bring yourself into a contentment that you can face those things. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. You see, we can gain uh, contentment, we can gain peace, uh, even when we have very little. But, you know, the other side of that, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, the other side of that is you can can be discontent when you have much. 
in verse 9 of 1 Timothy 6, but those who desire to be rich fall into a temptation and a stare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Not only do we need to avoid the greed of covetousness that we don't have and we want to have, we have to avoid the greed of accumulation. Keeping up with the Joneses as we started off in the lesson. Looking to others and seeing that they have more or that we want what they have even though we may have greater. Paul talks about uh, that accumulating this desire, this wealth, the, the love of money, not the having of it, but the love of it will pierce through with many sorrows. In Luke chapter 3, if you want to turn there just for a moment, Luke chapter 3, starting in verse 10 through 14, we have uh, some coming to John the Baptist, and they are asking uh, questions of him of what they need to do. Verse 10, and the people asked, and they said, what shall we do? You see, just a few moments later, he he was telling them that they needed to bring forth fruits worthy of repentance. And he answered, and he said unto them in verse 11, he that hath two coats, let him impart to him that has none. And he that has meat, let him do likewise. All right, so some who asked, what do we need to do? What do we need to do in order to show uh, that we have these fruits worthy of repentance. And, and he says, well, if you, if you have plenty, share it, right? You give. He doesn't say to try to accumulate more, to uh, prepare for the future, to build bigger barns, or to have more in setback for savings. He, he says, if you have plenty, then give. Then came also the publicans to be baptized. And he said unto them, or And they said unto him, Master, what shall we do? And he said unto them, Exact no more than that which is appointed you. And the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, What shall we do? And he said, Do no violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. All right, all three that came, generally the people, the publicans, and the soldiers, what was their current state of affairs? Were they lacking? Were they in need? No. He says, if you have two coats, you give one. The publicans, if you are collecting taxes, you have sufficient for yourself. Don't exact more than what you are needing to. And for the soldiers, you have authority. You have place. You have means. Don't abuse your authority. And he says, be content with your wages. Now, this brings up an interesting thought. Be content with your wages. I want to say that in this circumstance, all right, for this group of people, not everyone had to go clean out their closet and give half away, all right? Not everyone was going to be a publican. Not everyone was a soldier, but in this case, the soldiers had all that they needed. They had accumulated. They they had sufficiency for themselves, and so John tells them, be content with what you have. Is it wrong to seek a raise? Is it wrong to look for what is needed in your life? Absolutely not. We've already talked about that providing for those around you is a requirement of Scripture. Providing for those who who depend upon you, that sufficiency is something that is needed. But here the soldiers, they had all that they needed. They were in a place of sufficiency. And, And so John says to be content in that. 
If we can find contentment in the uh, accumulation or in our much, in our wealth, then we can also have the benefit of a worthy labor. That when we toil and when we work, that what we are working for, accumulating, providing for, that it, it has meaning and it brings worth to our life. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, it talks about when goods increase, they increase who eat them. So what profit have the owners except to see with their eyes? The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eats little or much. If we look at what we have, and is it sufficient? And if it is, then we can be content with where we are and look for ways to share and to give to others. Because when we have goods, our labor is important. The gain that we get is the fact that we are being productive We are laboring not in vain to accumulate stacks of wealth and and barns to, to supply us at some future point that may never come, but our labor is supplying what we need, and it's productive, which leads us to the fact that uh, it brings to us an emotional contentment. Emotional contentment, our second major point to think about. God wants us to be content in our physical well-being, but he also wants us to be content emotionally. Two main areas where this emotional contentment can come from is one is is our relationships. Uh, Our life is completely full of relationships. It drives our emotions. From the simple uh, acquaintances and people that we uh, pass uh, have to deal with at the bank, at the store, in transactions, to the people that we work with, our colleagues, to those that we go to school with, our fellow students and the teachers, we have these relationships. And for whatever small amount that they are in our life, they provide some aspect to the emotional well-being that we have. And we need to think about, are we emotionally content? So let's think about some ways that we can uh, find this, that we can gain emotional contentment. With those around us, the acquaintances and our colleagues at work, Romans chapter 12, verses 17 and 18. It simply says, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Verse 18, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. It's awful hard to live peaceably with those around us if we are not emotionally content. If we have things that we feel are missing or that we are being taken advantage of, But if we live peaceably, then we are content with where we are and we are looking to be a benefit to others. You know, that's exactly what what Jesus talked about when he talked about how we treat our enemies. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Even those that we know are taking advantage of us or we know are contrary to us, we can have emotional contentment in the relationship that we have with those individuals. We can know that we have something good for them, that we have a gospel that saves, that we have a light of this world, that we have a Savior in Jesus. Bless those who persecute you and do not curse, Romans 12, verse 14. It's hard to be praying for somebody, thinking about their well-being, and not to be content emotionally ourselves. 
Above all things, 1 Peter 4, verses 8, have fervent love for one another. Love will cover a multitude multitude of sins. Be hospitable one to another. When we think about our friendships, they can bring emotional contentment to us when we seek love for them. Now, it's probably most easily thought when we think about the emotional contentment that we can have when we think about uh, family units. And I know that oftentimes we have a a variety of family uh, units, so we have different facets within that, people and their roles and their relationships from grandparents to grandchildren, sons, daughters, parents, siblings. When we think about the family, we find that uh, Ephesians chapter 6 gives a good framework. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. The first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. When we think about ourselves, even, even those of us who, who are grown, have our own families, when we think about our role as children to our own parents, it says that children give honor. If you have contentment emotionally in the family, then what you gain as a parent is you gain the honor of your children, that they will want to honor you, they will want to obey you. Children, you will have contentment in your life emotionally when you obey your parents. Paul writes and he says, why should you obey your parents? It says that you may be well and that you may live long on the earth. With emotional contentment in the relationships that we have within our family, it can bring not only honor and peace, but it can also bring patience as as parents look to their children. It can also bring safety and well-being to those children. The very next verse talks about fathers. You fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. It's hard to be content and also to be displaying wrath, anger, quick temper with your children. But if you seek not to provoke them, it will bring patience. It will bring that emotional contentment. You know, a verse that, I guess, uh, when I think about uh, being content, a verse that rings in the back of my mind is Philippians 2, verse 14. I can hear my mom saying it quite often, do all things without complaining and grumbling. Uh, I had a problem with that uh, as a child. Hopefully, I've overcome that. It's hard to be content in your life emotionally when you are complaining and grumbling, and vice versa, if you're If you're complaining or not complaining, then you can have contentment. We think about the marriage relationship in in the family. Proverbs 5, verse 18, Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. You know, it's one of those in the world around us. uh, We turn on television, we see movies, and we see the the, the marriage relationship, and oftentimes it is the ill-content the discontent that is being highlighted, uh, the fact that love is missing, the fact that they are not rejoicing together with what they have and what they can be. Ephesians 5:25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Was Christ content with his church? Was he content with the decision that he was making to go uh, there to the cross to give his blood and to die for the church. I I believe that he was. He was content in doing that. And for us, it is as fathers to, uh, to love just as Christ loved. 
1 Peter 3, verse 7, husbands likewise dwell with them, speaking of wives, with understanding, giving honor to them, that your prayers may not be hindered. If you want to gain peace in your life, then you will look for emotional contentment with those around you. If you want honor from your children, you will seek contentment. If you want long life for your children, you will seek contentment. If you want joy with your spouse, then you will seek that emotional contentment that they provide to you. But, you know, the second phase to that emotional contentment is uh, it's within yourself, right? We can't, uh, we can't, we can influence people, but we can't force them to do uh, things that are good and beneficial for them. Uh, all of our relationships uh, have an impact on us, but, uh, but finding that emotional contentment within ourselves uh, is of most, utmost importance. Uh, Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, as he ends that second epistle, Uh, the thorn in the flesh is brought up. And we understand, maybe not what the specifics were, but that Paul had some physical issue with himself, something that uh, he felt was uh, restraining him or from doing something more. And that he asked for it to be gone, that he, he sought within himself a place of contentment. And the response given to him, verse 9 and 10, my Grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasures in infirmities, reproaches, needs, persecutions, distresses, for when I am weak, then I am strong. You know, the the response back to Paul was, my grace is sufficient for you. Do you want to gain grace in your life? I, I hope that you do. Well, God said, my grace is sufficient. That word sufficient is the same word that Paul talks about being content. My grace is contented for you. My grace is sufficient for you, God says. If we want emotional contentment, then we can contemplate that if we want grace in our life, then we will look for the sufficiency of what God has given to us, and that is great gain. If we are not content in our own mind, emotionally and relationally, then we cannot benefit from God's grace, which has been poured out for us to satisfy us and provide us sufficiently. By being discontent, we are rejecting God's grace. Finally, the last area that I want to talk about and think about is the spiritual contentment. You know, we talked about at the very beginning that uh, being content in a biblical framework is not stagnant or lazy, but instead it is growth. So my question tonight for us, are we spiritually content with the growth that we have in our life? Are we content that we are growing and becoming the Christian that God wants us to be? In 2 Peter chapter 3, it tells us, Beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. We are looking forward. We are to be diligent. We are to be growing, to, to take on peace, being blameless, thinking about the fact that God has, has laid out long-suffering for us, and that is his Salvation. Therefore, in verse 17, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your steadfastness being led away 
in the error of the wicked. Grow, verse 18, in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We need to dispel doubt in our life, and we need to think about the salvation and the grace that God has offered to us. And that's the last question for us tonight. Are we content in our salvation? In 1 John chapter 5, if you would turn there as our, in our closing uh, passage, 1 John chapter 5, being spiritually content is rooted in the fact that we can have the salvation and the grace of God in our lives for certain. In 1 John chapter 5, looking at verses 11 through 13, the book of 1 John builds on this idea of a blessed assurance, of a confidence in our faith. And when we get to the last chapter, 1 John chapter 5, verse 11, this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. This life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Do you have the Son of God? Well, the very next verse, verse 13, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Are you tonight spiritually content in your salvation? Do you know for certainty where you are and that your name is in the book of life? It doesn't mean that we, are blame, that we are perfect, that we have never sinned, that we do not have sin in our life, and that we will not have sin tomorrow that we will not need to ask forgiveness of. But we can be content that the promises God has made, has laid out for us, we too have in our life. Philippians 2 verse 12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We have it in front of us, we have it before us, and we can be content. As you go through this week in your life, think about the things that uh, surround you physically and emotionally and most importantly spiritually. And think about how you respond. Are you responding in a way that shows the contentment in your life? Have you gained the peace, the joy? Have you gained the confidence that Jesus provides to us? Tonight we're going to have our invitation song. If there is any need to obey the gospel, the simplicity, the simplicity of what Jesus did, death, burial, and resurrection, that in baptism you die, are buried, and you rise to walk in newness of life. Or if you need the prayers of the congregation, please come as we stand, as we sing.